0: Hello, and welcome Behind the Marquee, the podcast where we talk about everything inside and outside the world of art house and independent cinema. My name is Nick Aldrink, and I am the Programming and Media Coordinator coordinator at the Michigan Theatre Foundation, and I'm joined by two guests who also work at the Michigan State Theatre. Please tell us who you are and what you do for the theatre.
1: Sure. I am Sarah Erlewine and I am the Marketing Manager. And I'm Jean-Marie Mink, and I'm Box Office at the state.
0: Thank you both for being here. Thank you for Jean, Mar- Jean Marie for Yay. your first time on the podcast. Thank pretty, you. Pretty exciting.
2: I'm very
1: excited.
0: Uh, today we are going to uh, we are going to talk about Ingmar Bergman. We are going to try to condense a conversation about Ingmar Bergman to half an hour. <laughs> I- and from what I understand, <laughs> for
1: people who know about Ingmar Bergman, this is a really big task. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so
0: let's yeah let's let's start on that subject, Sarah. Then because. Uh, I think that we have very different perspectives of Ingmar Bergman. We all came, uh, he came to us in different ways. Um, why don't you tell us what your what you know of Ingmar Bergman and what your experience with it is? Um,
1: so I know of Ingrid Bergman. Right. And I know of Ingmar Bergman because of that. Like, okay. honestly, and it's really embarrassing. And probably somebody <laughs> should take away my independent movie theater cred card uh, that I should even be doing this because... Uh, I really don't know anything. Uh-huh. And uh, so when you proposed the series, I was like, that's, I mean, that sounds great. I know that he's very important. Yeah. You know, I do. Mm-hmm. But why he's important mm-hmm. and and what his films represent, I don't know anything.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jean-Marie, how did you first discover Ingmar Bergman? How did he come into your life?
2: Well, it's a—it's f- funny you should ask, <laughs> because my very first time seeing a foreign film, mm-hmm. Was um, and I was so proud that I had already seen an Ingmar Bergman, Ingmar Bergman film. (laughs) Yep, yep. and uh, before so many people I knew Mm -hmm. were seeing Ingmar Bergman, Um, I had seen this in, I believe it was the campus theater, but it may have been the state. That was back when it was on the ground level, and I went into the bathroom. I remember this distinctly, reading what people were saying by looking at their legs. And then I realized they were speaking English, and there were no subtitles. (laughs) And (laughs) it was just the weirdest thing. Anyway, turns out years later that the film I had seen, although it did have Leave Ullman in it, was not an Ingmar Bergman film. It was The Immigrants. Yeah, I had been patting myself on the back for years (laughs) before I'd ever even seen anything by the man. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't feel too bad,
1: Sarah. (laughs) I don't. I don't feel (laughs) too That's great, but yeah, I mean, I I suspect I would have a similar experience. I'd be like, oh, mm-hmm. this this could be an Ingmar Bergman
0: movie. <laughs> I don't know. So for those who don't even know who it is that we're, who might not even know who we're talking about, Ingmar Bergman is <laughs> he's a he's a Swedish director, and uh, we are celebrating him with this series because uh, we are uh, uh, last July it would have been his one hundredth birthday. Right. That's right. So art house cinemas across the country have been, th- this series has existed all year for for many of us. We're just getting into it now because we, uh, we've had so much to do this year right. already. So as, I guess it's better late than never Absolutely. for us. And uh, his film, we are playing four of his films. We are playing Wild Strawberries, The Seventh Seal, Autumn Sonata, and Persona. When you talk about Ingmar Bergman, he really becomes this quintessential art house cinema director which is why he, which is it's it's very yeah, very important to our to our industry it's like when you when you often when you see a movie that is um spoofing or playing on the just the genre of art house cinema often you see his many of his images like the the knight and the death playing chess in the seventh seal. is oh, yeah is, is is one of the most Famous art house cinema scenes that 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 has ever shown up on the screen. I mean, you watch something like um, Five Hundred Days of Summer. Right. They they, they as a, just one example of you see them play on that scene. And he drew on so many existential themes that his films have been analyzed and studied and picked apart ever since um they were first screened like uh persona is has been called the mount everest of film analysis (laughs) wow because you, you can just you 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 can just you keep going and it's never going to end and he um,
1: you know Mount Everest ends, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, I just, I just but to make that, sure. that,
0: that pursuit of getting <laughs> to, the, that pursuit of it, getting to the top of Mount Everest is never going to stop. <sighs> mm-hmm. uh, people are just going to keep climbing keep going it, forever, and yeah. and the, we're never going to find an answer to, <laughs> to
1: why, why do we climb to why do we because climb it's mount? There.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah, you're really going to be leading this conversation. Yeah, uh, f- yeah. It's going to be because... a change from
1: our usual.
0: Yes. So uh, let, let's just get right into it as as an outside as someone who exists outside of this right. of this fandom right. what what is it that you want to know
1: Um I want to know why Why? Why Ingmar Bergman for you personally? Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like um, wh- what is it about Ingmar Bergman that makes you think that he's an important auteur. Like Nick just touched on sort of the overall opinion of critics and and scholars about who people who study art house film. And I wanna know why. Why should mm-hmm. I go seeing Ingmar Bergman? Why movies? should you go
2: see it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, hm personally in my family, mom and dad were kind of like they would give that Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, when anybody brought up wild strawberries or something like that, they would just give that. So I had a feeling there was something there before I even lived in Mm -hmm. California where there were so many rep houses Mm -hmm. all over the place. And um, I would go to one in Petaluma. Uh, Where Um, is Petaluma? Petaluma is the home of the ABC... Wide world of sports, wrist wrestling competition, <laughs> and the chicken capital of America. This is amazing. So, is
1: this the Los Angeles area? This is actually
2: up north. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, yes. No, that's
1: I right. just, just for everybody. I'm just trying to. In
2: Sonoma County. Okay, great. And um, and they had a great theater um, that was a rep house, and they would always have Kurosawa, and they would have these different things. And my roommate always dragged me along to this theater, and I was only twenty. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know from Ingmar Bergman except that I had seen that film, right, right, at that one state or <laughs> campus theater, and um, so I saw I saw that um, that first one um, with the death and the scythe and the
0: the seventh seal, uh, the
2: seventh okay. seal. Yeah. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. And um, I should have these names right in front.
0: Forget. But, so um,
1: where where did Seventh Seal fall in his Oh, (laughs) he had been making
2: films for many, many years before he came to that. And he had been working with uh, Gunnar Fischer Mm -hmm. as a cinematographer. Mm -hmm. And um, he came up the old-fashioned way where he would be making um, small films and really silly films, lots of silly films. And he was brought up um, knowing that Victor Sjöström, who he used as uh, his main his lead in Wild Strawberries, mm-hmm. um, that he was the master of film in mm-hmm. Scandinavia at that time. He was the one who was doing everything and, you know, writing and directing and yeah. acting and all those things. And so
0: I just wanted to the, yeah, oh, the, please, the, 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 the Phantom Carriage is one of the the films that he is most known for. It's this, this, this early silent horror film, which is uh, which is what uh, Victor was was most well known for when uh he was the actor when you, when Bergman brought him onto Wild Strawberries. I'll let you continue. I just wanted to <laughs> oh, that's case, great. In case, in case people didn't know that, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, there's so much. It's hard to know yeah you know, where to start from. Yeah, but um, but this was one where he was breaking out, and I mean, there had been lots of dark cinema coming out of Scandinavia, like The Word. And uh, ordet is the way it's spelled, but Mm -hmm. um, it's the word. And so it was interesting. I re-saw this movie, and I think this is a reason to go, because I thought, oh, this is so dark. It's such a dark theme. You know, it's all existential angst about death and questions of god and does he exist and well what is he and all that kind of stuff and so to see this film again and to see there's so much humor in it mm-hmm. there's so much there you is. know Wildian humor mm-hmm. um that uh that i really enjoyed watching it again and i and i think it's a it's actually a celebration of life mm-hmm. and i hadn't anticipated that so that's a reason to go see the that's, very first one that's Wilde. pretty
1: good Mm-hmm. so nick you didn't actually really talk in the beginning about how you came to ingmar bergman did you we've yeah. kind of skipped no.
0: over that <laughs> so why don't we start with that for you as as a as a film student it was it was really kind of forced on me Okay. <laughs> because uh i i didn't know much about him before it just maybe like oh, it's been a while since I've, I've realized it's been a while since i've actually been in school it doesn't it feels like it was not that long ago but maybe like like yeah, seven years ago is when, uh, is when he really came to me. It came to me through uh, the the Seventh Seal. That was one of the movies I watched in my very first film class, and I fell asleep. Great, <laughs> your
1: persuasion <laughs> technique is amazing so far.
0: But um, but I fell asleep, but before I I knew anything about who he was. And this is this is a director you need to understand. Uh, the 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 moment that these films were made to really appreciate what he's doing, and also it's we we watched the movie and then we went to class and then we unpacked it and then I was thinking oh, I really wish I didn't fall asleep during this movie. <laughs> there's so there's so much going on here and I and I didn't I didn't even pick up on it and I don't I, I have to say I don't think I fell asleep because I was bored. I fell asleep because it was eight o'clock at night. And, and you were what twenty? And, and, and I was <laughs> twenty, and I'd probably gone out the night before. Right. <laughs> so that, that that is that does not speak to the, the quality of this movie. But yeah, and then uh, of course once you once you see one and you you, you understand who he is, I, I I sought out the rest on my own because that's I think that's what that's why I'm glad that um you you have to show his movies in a series because they rhyme with each other. And they all play on very similar themes in different ways, and he takes on different tones, especially in the four films that are in this series. They are all very tonally different. I'm rambling now, and I don't. No, you're, <laughs> no, actually, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so that kind of leads to another question that I had, which is why these four films? Mm-hmm. I mean, so so the selection is like we said, it's Wild Strawberries, mm-hmm. Seventh Seal autumn sonata and persona
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that chronological is that like how did you approach really. picking those? okay
0: yeah go ahead no uh, yeah uh wild strawberries and seventh seal was an easy it was an easy way like this series could have gone on for another month like the, there are there are many that i wish we that i wish i would have had time to show uh but really so i was, I was kind of playing off the hits of, of this series, uh, Wild and Strawberry, Wild Strawberries, and Seven Seal were, were an easy way to start. Uh, he, like jean Marie said, that he had been making many films before this, but these were the two that he really had his first worldwide success with. Uh, and he released them ten months apart from each other, so he really he he came out in a in a in a big way to international audiences. And then uh, you have to you have to end it on Persona. Because uh, nothing can follow Persona. You're gonna leave this. If you haven't seen it before, you're gonna leave this movie with your mind blown and with you having all sorts of existential crises <laughs> and and not right. quite understanding what what it was that you were just seeing. But you're gonna be thinking about it for another week. I promise you that. And you just you can't follow Persona. So obviously had to end end the series there. And then Autumn Sonata. That was uh, it's it's um, it's the only color film that's in the series, and it is the last on-screen appearance, uh, uh, film appearance by Ingrid Bergman. Who? Uh, hey, I know her. <laughs> who? Yeah, who? Who many get, uh, get get the two confused? Ingrid Bergman. Uh, uh, she's she's an actress. She was in Casablanca. She was in *Sabot*, no, *Notorious*. Uh, She was in *Notorious* with 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 Hitchcock. Uh, She had a a lot of success. So, for our our audience who maybe
1: is unfamiliar with this, what was their relationship?
0: They were they uh, they weren't related at all. They just had very similar names. They're both. They're both. Uh...
2: She was pretty badass with him. She just like he had them do these uh, these screenings after a full day of shooting. and uh-huh. Everybody had to go see the movies that the master wanted them to see, mm-hmm. and they would all experience this together. And mm-hmm. she was tired, and she had some medical stuff going on, and she just said no.
1: Mm-hmm. She, she got there <laughs> and she said,
2: "You know, I'm not doing this. I'm leaving." And it was quite amazing. So she. Mm. They didn't get along. (laughs)
1: That is amazing. She
0: was at the top of her game. Like, like she was, it it, it was end, uh, I mean, toward the end of a very long and and successful career. And when an actress likes, uh, when an actor like that meets another master of of his game, it's, that's, that's bound to happen, I think. I think so. Yeah. And, and the Autumn Sonata is, is basically a play. Uh, where, where the, the the other three are cinematic masterpieces. So
1: what do you mean by that? Do you mean like it a single is, set sort of a thing yeah, or a singular it, plot? It all, or?
0: It, all, it all it all takes place within uh, within a house. and really it its uh, follows uh, one conversation in the middle of the night..
2: Okay. He does some really interesting things. Um, like well one of the things that I noted was that um, while well, the first two films are really from a man's world, they're kind of like an every man's world, but still from a male, male perspective compared to the second two, which are definitely – he was more comfortable with women mm-hmm. um, than he was with men, and um, he was vocal about that. But he also felt that emotions could be felt more naturally around women, um, and, and he didn't uh, – let's see, he – he had a lot of questions, obviously, about, you know, these existential crises and um, things that people had to go through in their lifetime, answers that they were looking for. Whereas with Persona, I didn't get to see Autumn Sonata. I tried really mm.
1: hard to find it. But it's here, but you can't watch it here unless you have a laptop. And yeah. that's another story. <laughs> well, anyway. So assuming that's where you're going to be on November 20th. And that is where, <laughs> where I'm going to be. You- yeah put me first yeah i'm gonna be there so anyway
2: um anyway there are lots of things to look to um the there, there are two different cinematographers he left off uh gunnar Fischer somewhere after wild strawberries and took up with sven Nykvist, mm-hmm. who is a very famous cinematographer he's been working like every year since but um and that's a, you can, you can see from the, just the light and the angles and the tone. Um, they worked together really well, Sven Nusskifst mm-hmm. and uh, Ingmar Bergman. They, for some reason, I think because he didn't have any problems with Ingmar Bergman, um, mm-hmm. they worked together without words. He would, he would often not give direction he would uh, give the scripts. He wrote the scripts most of the time and would give the scripts and let the actors find themselves in the role. But he also had this relationship with his cinematographer, which made everything so much more natural um, that he didn't want to work with anybody else. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's worth looking for these things, the the differences in the older films and the newer films as to um, the quality of light, the um, the... The things that the camera rests on and what that means, because, yeah, when you get to a film like Persona, it's everything could mean something. Mm-hmm. And you just don't know because am <laughs> not going to tell you.
1: <laughs> so looking at the films that you've selected here, which one is actually the earliest?
0: Seven Seal is the earliest. Like I said, uh, they were both released uh, within a span of 10 months, but they kind of bookended that year of uh, 1957. fifty-seven. Seven Seal was released earlier and Wild Strawberries later.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. and then the last film out of the lineup?
0: Uh, Persona was 1966.
1: But then Autumn Sonata came out later than that, right?
0: Yeah, Autumn Sonata was 1978. Okay,
1: so w- w- was Autumn Sonata his final film? What was his final film?
0: His final film, it was not, he died in 2003, uh, and he, it was towards the tail end of his career. Uh, he, had, uh, he worked in TV a little bit after, and I believe yeah, Fanny and Alexander came after that. Which was TV. Which, yeah, which was TV. And um, Scenes from a Marriage, I believe, came after, came after that as well, yes. uh, which he was known for. But it was towards the, the tail end of his, of his uh, mainstream successful career, I suppose.
2: It was also the beginning of his affair with Lee Volman, mm-hmm. um, which oh, is significant. Okay. Yeah, he, um, he met her on the street with B.B. Anderson. And said, hey, you know, like, do you want to be in this movie? And
1: What a line. <laughs> right? right? And
2: then he, yeah. has, he has a dream about mm-hmm. the two oh, of them. Oh, my goodness. And he mm-hmm. decides to write a script about oh, it. Of course and does. what so, Persona turned into.
0: Yeah, he he had this very strong repertory of of, of actors that he used a lot. B.B. Uh, Anderson, uh, she's in three of the four films that we're showing. She's in all but uh, Autumn Sonata. And he also worked with Max von Sydow um, oh, yeah. a lot. Oh, he, was in, uh, he was he sh- in, he was, he's the knight in Seventh Seal and he shows up in Wild Strawberries as well. You and know uh, uh,
1: Does he have pointy ears? <laughs> I want him <laughs> to have pointy ears.
0: You may, you may know Max von Sydow better in uh, The Exorcist. <laughs> the
1: Exorcist, yeah. And
0: he's had a, a late uh, resurgence of his career. He was in Star Wars, The Force Awakens. And he was in extremely loud, incredibly close. He was in Minority Report. He's so, working you I know, had the no time. idea he
1: was still acting. <laughs> no. quest, so I mean, I, I just haven't followed his career. It was actually I,
0: I as, as I was watching. I, I'm just going to uh, segue a little bit briefly. Uh, as I was watching The Exorcist on Friday, uh, last Friday at the state, I didn't. I never quite understood or noticed how much makeup he's wearing in that movie oh, really? because i think that i think that that's why you think that it, you're surprised that he's still working today because many people know him for his role in the exorcist where he looks so old and you think how old is this guy how is he still around but no he it was, uh, had a lot of makeup in the exorcist and he's still going strong and he's still a great actor
2: yeah, and you'll see in The Seventh Seal that he is a towhead. I mean, he is completely white blonde. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. So he started out with what could be gray hair, with, right. especially in
1: black and white. So Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I he always get the feeling that reasons. he's a very old actor. I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, so, and as, as, as we were saying, so uh, yeah, he worked with B.B. Anderson and then Lee Ullman, who uh, her first role with him was in Persona. And then she uh, worked uh, with, with, she was, she became, although she she joined this this special group of actors late, she became one of his his uh, biggest assets as well.
2: And uh, the island where they decided to, to continue filming and yeah. was much more successful, Feroe. Um,
0: yeah, I was going to let you pronounce
2: that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's Feroe. Uh, that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. Feroe. Uh, um, he decided to buy a house. For the two of them to mm-hmm. live in on, mm-hmm. on that island, and
0: it's where he filmed a lot. Uh, he filmed uh, The Seventh Seal. He filmed Wild Strawberries there. It's it. I oh my
2: goodness, I didn't yeah. Know he, that. It's,
0: it's, it's, m- m- most of his films um, from like the, the mid to late '60s on, they're all pretty much all filmed on that island.
1: <laughs> okay, so we talked early on about how influential he was as you know, sort of the founder of the icon iconography of art house cinema, and I'm curious. You know, for people who are wondering, like me, uh, who do you think was most influenced by him? And where can you kind of see that lineage going
0: mm-hmm.
1: in, in, in other directors?
0: Uh, definitely uh, the, uh, any modern actor or uh, any modern director will, I think, will, will reference Bergman in some way. But most obviously, you see David Lynch. Though I don't want that to scare people away <laughs> because, uh, you, you mean, you watch Persona and you'll see uh, he uses so many um, metaphors in his visuals. Um,
2: uh, Woody Allen. Yes. Is, it's no secret that he was completely, completely um, influenced by Bergman. And he has interviews and uh, has talked about that. And it's really interesting to follow up on that Um about Woody Allen, and he's not as popular as he used to be, but he was also in that group of directors that was considered necessary to study um, because of because of so many different things. But a, a lot of it having to do with the um, the look of the film and contrasts and what that would ultimately mean. And I'm <laughs> I'm doing little quote marks. I hate that, but anyway, that, yeah, meaning is is huge in these films because. Well, you know, just the the history of cinema has changed things and it has changed itself. Like it started out not really knowing what it was. It was this new thing. You could watch a horse run a race, and then, you know, it it became, well, you could put on these vaudeville acts, and then, you know, like, oh, we can do more. And then by the time you get to Persona, you've got these just real internal things going on, like psychology and a pure art form where there's there's just expression, and you don't need to explain to the audience anything that's going on. And um, I would say... If you if you want to see a fun movie and it's and it's October themed mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's very Bergmanesque by the end, um, see Irma Vep, uh, which is a, a take on uh, Les Vampires, and I think that was Fouillade. but uh, it's uh, it has a it has this flash sequence of images that are that have nothing to do with anything, and it's uh, it's delightful. <laughs> mm-hmm. So. There's, there's that I don't
0: even know who that director is but. yeah it's as you mentioned earlier uh, Jean Murray how um, especially with his with his camaraderie with, uh, with uh, his cinematographer Sven um, what, what makes his film stand out is that he was so great at creating just a single image without dialogue that expresses, so much just one one shot you know love of, of the the boy's hand and persona is, is is the is the famous shot of that film and that expresses so much in that five seconds of footage there and uh, it's why um it's why it, you'll you'll look at the the poster for the series I, I i i told jonathan that he wrote, jonathan really um he created a single like one single icon for each movie and he like quadded the poster and it's just that you know, like a, a chess piece, um, a hand, uh, like piano keys from Autumn Sonata. Because just you, you, you watch Ingrid Bergman play the piano in that film, and there's just maybe like twenty seconds of no dialogue, and um, Liv Ullman is just watching it, and there, there's just there's just that's it. It's just piano playing. And you see almost like a conversation between, like, a, between the two of them, just with their eyes. And that's, I think, that is Bergman's greatest greatest achievement as a director. And I think that's what many directors today strive for to create conversations with no dialogue. That's the best way. That's the best way I can say it.
2: Well, um, there's another director that I was thinking of, and that is um, Ozu. Uh, Japanese director who, mm-hmm. who did series on like what, uh, spring and autumn and then you know, spring again or something mm-hmm. like that and uh, one of them is an homage to a professor I believe it is and that's very similar to this whole wild strawberries mm-hmm. where he's getting an award for a lifetime as, uh, as an educator and it's very sweet and mm-hmm. uh, sentimental. But, um, but Spare as well, because mm-hmm. I think they both came up with silent film. And so um, as, um, as is said in Sunset Boulevard, you know, we had faces. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't need words.
1: <laughs> it's true. I just saw uh, Nosferatu the other mm-hmm. day. You know, when we had that at the theater, <laughs> the faces were really important. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> uh,
1: so I'm curious then personally speaking for yourselves only mm-hmm. which is your favorite
0: um, personally well, there's it all depends on mood for me I would say the, my, my I uh, depending on what mood I'm in um, has to come down to between persona and autumn sonata for me uh, persona uh, like I said earlier if if, if I want to challenge myself or if I want to try to find something new in this film I'll, I'll 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 take that on, but Autumn Sonata. It's really, I would say it's the most accessible, at least mentally, film of, of the four there on this list. Because, I, like I said, it's 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 basically a play. It's a conversation between a mother and her daughter. Um, where Wild Strawberries and Seventh Seal, there is quite a bit of metaphor in it. There you you there is some fantastic qualities to the two i say like wild strawberries i would con- i would if if, if you're going to compare it to to an american to american films the story is much like it's a wonderful life or like a christmas carol okay. of a guy he as as he's as he's on this journey he's looking back on these on these memories of of his past and then seventh seal. I mean, it's 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 uh, a <laughs> it's death chasing this this like literally the character death is face is a uh, is chasing this group of people traveling uh, during uh, the Middle Ages, the time of the Black Plague. So yeah. is
1: is death? I mean, sort of the way we envision him now with the scythe and the robe yep. and everything. Mm-hmm. And is that bit. was that sort of the first time that that imagery? was taken for death, or was that something that he oh, adapted I can't imagine, imagine what's yeah. either. I, d- I don't think it ever left Europe. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. I think it probably will. in every child's book It is, at home. I mean, you know, mm. that's just what he is. Yeah.
0: Okay, exactly. But I, I don't, I, That that's an interesting topic to take on, the, the history of the image of death. I have no idea. I would do a research paper. <laughs> yeah, that right? The cool. importance
2: of the chess pieces. Right. And, yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say, as far as the, the two films, um, or which one I like the best? I would do the same thing. I would say it depends on the. I got more out of the Seventh Seal this this watching because I watched everything just this last week mm-hmm. um, that I could, and um, I got more out of it this time than I ever did before. I don't. I don't. I, I felt like I've never seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. So, so it's great. But I have to say that Wild Strawberries, <laughs> that's know, that, the one for that you. Sense of redemption at the mm-hmm. end is mm-hmm. so complete that. Um, that it's, it's just
0: a sweet moment
2: to, mm-hmm. to linger on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I feel ready to go watch some Bergman movies now, you guys.
0: <laughs> Thank you for coming with those questions, Sarah. Yeah. So uh, to, just uh, to, to cap this conversation off, uh, uh, just to clarify and remind you of these dates, Wild Strawberries is playing November 6th, Seventh Seal, November 13th, Autumn Sonata, November 20th, and Persona, November 27th. And those are all at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays at the state... Theater. and of course we have to thank our sponsors for this series because they're the ones that really make us uh, make playing our old repertory screens possible Cafe Zola and the U of M Center for European Studies they're both sponsors of this of this series and we thank them for their contribution to yeah, our Yeah, thanks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, before we wrap uh, wrap up this episode, we're going to get to our movie magic moments of the week and this is the moment where we talk about something that we've seen recently that we can recommend to you, recommend to you and reminded us why we love film and television. So, Jean Marie, did you come with something?
2: <gasps> yeah, okay, actually. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I just watched it yesterday and it's La Jetée. And it's J-E-T with an accent, E-E. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, 18 minutes long.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> and
2: it's, uh, it's a film by Chris Marker, who sounds like an American, but he's not. He's, uh, he's French. And it's beautiful. It's a black and white. It was made, I think, in the early 70s, maybe late 60s. Okay. And And there are... There are no moving images. It's all still imagery, and a voiceover narration. And it's uh, it's set. It's got time travel. It's got a romance. It's Mm -hmm. got uh, just references that so many films have been made from uh, this movie. I couldn't believe it as I was watching it. I'm Especially Brazil, if anybody knows Terry Gilliam, Brazil, 12 Monkeys. Yeah. And he yeah. actually wrote 12 Monkeys. Oh, really? Oh. I love 12
1: Monkeys. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, then this is worth okay. seeing. Yeah. That's it's. A, I know short films get uh, short shrift, if you will. They <laughs> do. No, it's, and,
1: and unfairly, short films can be some of the best cinematic mm-hmm. experiences. <laughs> totally. And, uh, and it turns out that... Um, not just
2: Brazil and City uh, of Lost Children and maybe even Delicatessen, hmm. but, um, but he wrote this based on um, 19, no less than 19 viewings of Vertigo. <laughs> 19 well. is this number that follows me around it's my birthday and I always think of it as I indulge in thinking of it as as good luck sign but um, and I yeah yeah Adele I had great hopes for Adele because oh, 19 sure. was out there and, but not
1: so much didn't work she for you. turned 20 you know, and I know like, it's all over now <laughs> sorry Adele Jean-Marie is to leave you behind but.
2: so yeah that was my movie magic moment was realizing that he had uh, he had actually watched it. Movie
0: 19. <laughs> <laughs> How did you see this movie?
2: Uh, online streaming. Okay. And I don't know if it was YouTube or. No, it must have been Filmstruck. Okay. It had to have been Filmstruck because there were lots of things that I could watch about mm-hmm. it afterwards.
0: Can you say the title one more time?
2: La
1: Jete.
0: La Jete. I love it. She's so good at that. (laughs) (laughs) I I
1: never say foreign language titles because I always screw them up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so my uh, movie magic moment is actually a movie I saw back in, God, it must have been April. Was that right? At the Cleveland International Film Festival. April sounds about right. Yeah, I think that's when we were out there. And um, it is called Six Weeks to Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And this is a documentary. It is by an American filmmaker named Marvin Blunt who went to Thailand to look into some corruption story and ended up finding this story about a uh, children's school. Uh, It's it's an orphanage, but it's also a school. Uh, It's a completely democratic school, so it's something a little bit closer to what we know of, like the Steiner schools or like the Waldorf system or something like this. And so the kids are residents, and they also are involved in the running of the school they have, these uh, committees—they have people who lead the voting. They have—they have debates and arguments about the rules and how they're going to be implemented. And the ki- and of course, the the leaders join in and help them. But uh, the the kids really help structure and guide what their school is. And the other thing. So this is in Thailand, and. In Thailand, uh, Mother's Day is a very big celebration, and all of the teachers at the school are called mothers, m- like mother and then their, their first name. And so th- it is six weeks preceding this huge Mother's Day celebration. And I tell you, I was not interested in seeing this movie because I heard Thai orphanage, and I thought, oh, this <laughs> is going to be heartbreaking and depressing. Mm-hmm. And... and yeah. So in, in a film festival, you guys have both been to film festivals. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of our audience has been to film festivals. You spend a lot of time in line with other people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we would go in line for our next movie. And everybody would say, oh, my God, have you seen Six Weeks to Mother's Day? Oh, you have to see it. And we thought we had missed our chance. And then after like just tremendous feedback, they added an additional screening the last day of the festival. And we were able to fit it in. And we went to see this movie. And I saw this movie and the Mr. Rogers documentary at the same trip, and it was like two bookends of heartwarming optimism mm. for the goodness of people <laughs> and the investment in children and in education. I mean, it really is just a great honoring of mothers, of, of caretakers, of teachers, of of democracy, of education, of all of those things that we value and- I we are lucky enough that we are going to be showing this mm-hmm. on November 7th. And mm-hmm. Marvin Blunt, who was there for a Q&A with us uh, when I saw it in Cleveland, he is going to come and join us for our screening as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, I really, I even though, like I said, this wasn't a recent movie magic moment, mm-hmm. but it was so profound and so powerful for me that I wanted to take a moment while mm-hmm. I had it to talk mm-hmm. to everybody about this movie and how strongly I feel about it and how much I hope everybody comes out to take advantage of this opportunity because this is this is a small festival film. You know, He is still taking this around to individual screenings, different festivals here and there. This is not going to get a wide theatrical mm-hmm. release. It may get a streaming release at some point, but this is really an opportunity to see sort of an unsung hero of, independent documentaries. Mm-hmm. So
0: the date on that screening one more was time? the
1: November 7th,
0: November 7th, November
1: 7th. It's a Wednesday mm-hmm. and it is at the Michigan theater mm-hmm. and it's at 7 PM.
0: Great.
1: And uh Cynatopia ticket prices apply for that one. Cause it is presented as part of our Cynotopia program. Mm-hmm. And we are actually, so if you are listening to this and you were a Cinetopia pass holder and you still have your pass, you can bring it in and get free admission. Mm hmm.
0: And also check your email, because I emailed you yesterday. If you don't have your pass anymore, just print out that email. Bring that, or or open it
1: on your phone. Just show us something to prove that you were a pass holder. But please come on and see this movie. Mm.
0: And if I'm not mistaken, I think that is your... uh, Maybe it was Ariel's. That was her movie magic moment back in April.
1: It probably was, yeah. (laughs) Because, no, so Ariel and I went to see that together, and we were just blown Mm -hmm. away, you guys. I really... Even though, you know, it really is a wonderful a wonderful film mm-hmm. that in these times especially coming as it is it's coming the day after election day mm-hmm. you know and you don't know where we're <laughs> going to be going as a country mm-hmm. to remind yourselves of the value like the democratic values the mm-hmm. the investment in the youth it's it's great it'll it'll make you feel good in times that don't make you feel so good
0: perfect 6 weeks to mother's day mine um i recently watched all of the Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Oh my
1: god, I'm six episodes in. You're
0: six. Oh, you, did you did you watch episode six yet?
1: Uh, that was the two storms. Yes. Yes, we just yep. finished that one.
0: That yeah, that that's a that's a pretty pretty good one that's to leave pretty, off okay. to leave off on. And uh, oh, I I watched it not expecting much from it It it's a horror series and horror series they don't tend to i mean american horror story has done well but it's a little bit schlocky and i was kind of expecting the same thing i
1: was expecting even though it's based on a uh novel by shirley jackson who is exceptional at telling Mm -hmm. scary stories Mm -hmm.
0: but i was so surprised by this series and especially the way that it, it, it captures you, if you're looking for, it, it captures most people that are just looking for horror entertainment. Those first couple, two episodes are pretty terrifying. They're
1: terrifying. And then- Really terrifying.
0: Not to say that everything else isn't terrifying, but they really, they they kind of take a step back from the genre and you, they just let you learn about these characters. And they, they and the, the film, or the the, the the series has so much to say about Addiction, about mental illness, about family, um, it, and
1: no, it's true. You don't get you usually get as well rounded of characters mm-hmm. in a horror
0: movie, and 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 that what because of that uh, episode six that you just watched, I appreciated that because it was kind of like a it was a, a bottle episode where the the whole thing kind of took place with the within one or I guess two locations, but it really just you you is that. You get to episode six, you know the characters, and all of all of a sudden they're trapped together, and you're just gonna see it. everything, all this character buildup just explode on screen.
1: Well, because it's the first time all of those characters as adults are in the same room mm-hmm. at, at present time. Mm-hmm. Any other time you see them, it's a flashback. Yeah. And so it is that moment you've been building up with all mm-hmm. of these stories, and it's the first time they're there. And it's a really emotionally cathartic moment it as it is.
0: Um, I don't. i I'm not going to say, and I'm not going to talk any more about it because this uh, there's some spoiler territory in this show. But uh, The Haunting of Hell House, is now streaming on Netflix. Uh, binge it. Watch it all. That's what I have to say.
1: How many episodes total?
0: Eight? Oh, ne- I think hour, it's 10. 10? Yeah, 10? I think mean, it's a full, and they're it each an hour, like yeah. which is
1: what's making it a little harder for us to get mm-hmm. through it quite mm-hmm. as fast. But.
0: Mm. Um, so... Uh, that about wraps up today's episode of Behind the Marquee. I feel like we did a pretty good, there's so much more we could have said about about these films about Bergman, but I think we did a pretty good job unpacking it.
1: I I felt like I learned a lot. Yeah. You guys are really knowledgeable on the subject. I don't know where you have acquired all of this. I, I can tell you from sitting here, they do not both just have Wikipedia up on their phones yeah. in front of them. They actually know this stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, thank you guys for humoring me. Yeah, thank you, thank
0: you for coming here. Thank you, Gene Murphy, for, for being here for the first me. time. I'm sure we'll you, I'm sure we'll hear your voice on the podcast again sometime soon. As long as you're willing to come back, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, uh, we're gonna be back in your feed. Uh, uh, feed next week so take a uh, keep a lookout for that like uh, subscribe to us on iTunes uh, thank you to the Ann Arbor District Library once again for letting us take over their time and again another long episode uh, Matt's in the booth we uh, thank him Hi, for Matt. that
2: <laughs> Thanks,
0: <Matt. laughs> uh, their website aadl.org check them out you can find uh, these all these films that we've talked about um, uh, in, their, in their catalog um Again, come see the Bergman series of the state and thank you for joining us behind the marquee. All right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I didn't think oh.
1: always feel so funny when